and welcome to the TNW podcast, the show in which we discuss the latest developments in the European technology ecosystem and feature interviews with some of the most interesting people in the industry. My name is Andrei Degler. I am the head of media at TNW. And I'm Linnea Algren, senior editor here at TNW. Now, good morning to you, Linnea. How are you doing today? Good morning, Andrei. I'm good, thank you. Just uh, watching tech stocks kind of shoot through the roof. And uh, now I'm still imagining uh, from our conversation just before we started recording about a ferret getting loose in an airplane. This was an entirely hypothetical situation. But yeah, people don't just don't travel with ferrets. Yeah. So this is this is a quick illustration of uh, what the recording room looks like before we actually uh, start uh, start the official recording. At some point, I promise we will release uh, some uh, snippets of uh, the conversations happening before, and I'm sure this will give you much better impression of what kind of team we are. Anyway, today's episode. Today we are going to discuss uh, things like uh, deepfake face swapping, uh, the incredible race of ARM's stock price already hinted uh, to, you by, to you by Linea, epilepsy trolling, I don't know if it's a thing actually, and lure, we're going to also learn more about how much startup founders are paid in Europe. Let's start with the story that you did cover today, Linea, deepfake face swaps. What is it? Yeah, so first I will just say that epilepsy trolling is unfortunately a thing, but I will get back to that a little bit right. later. But yes, deep fake fakes, <laughs> deep fake face swaps. I'm not going to try to say That's that a quickly. Twister. <laughs> I'm not going to try and say it quickly 20 times in a row. So analysts at iProve, which is a British biometric firm, has found that deep fake face swap attacks has surged by an astonishing 704% in 2023. So they attribute this surge to the growing accessibility of sophisticated generative AI tools. And this means technology that can manipulate images or videos to the point where they're indistinguishable from real ones, or at least to the average person. And of course, face swap in, in this uh, instance means that you mm. take someone's face and you put it on someone else's body and then you make it seem as if the person whose face you have non-consensually grabbed and make it do things like speak and uh, also manipulate voice to make it sound like them, etc. And then you go about trying to deceive people in one way yeah. or another. I think a lot of this uh, has been used in more like innocent uh, kind of applications like memes and all that type of things, right? Yes, absolutely. But most applications are decidedly not innocent. <laughs> And specifically now for cybersecurity concerns, deepfakes uh, are used as false images or videos that are generated by deep learning AI mm -hmm. algorithms, which is hence the name, uh, deepfakes. And what makes them so concerning is not just their authenticity or their seeming authenticity, but also how easy and affordable they are to create. So according to Dr. Andrew Newell, the chief scientific officer at IPRO, uh, there's been a proliferation of face swap tools that require very little technical know-how to use. So in order to create a convincing face swap, all someone needs is basically off-the-shelf software, and then you feed the manipulated or synthetic output to a virtual camera. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure there are a whole bunch of apps, even in normal app stores, that would allow you allow you to do that on a more consumer-grade level. And then with a little bit of knowledge, you probably are able to do whatever you want. But like, okay, so with this quite dangerous level of accessibility, what kind of impact are these deepfakes actually having? Like, what can we see? What was the problem here? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, these attackers 
often combine uh, Gen AI tools with emulators, which mimic a user's device, such as mobile phone, for example, mm-hmm. alongside other metadata manipulation methods. And the scary part is, like we already mentioned, the knowledge of these tools, which are quite easy to use anyway, but they it's spreading really fast through online forums. And from a broader cybersecurity perspective, they're primarily being used in identity fraud and scams. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, I prove in its research reported a case where a finance worker in Hong Kong was tricked into transferring a massive sum of money, actually 23.8 million euros, to con men who were posing as this individual's colleagues in a video call. Wow. Now, other than the victim, everyone on the call was a digital recreation of a real staff member. Like, is it is it really that good? Like, is it is it that convincing? I I I just can't I can't really believe I haven't really seen I, I don't think I've ever seen a deep fake face swap type of thing that would be really convincing. But usually when I see them, I already know that they are face swaps because they're like demonstrations or something. Yeah, I have. Uh, yes, and that perhaps tricks you into believing that you can spot it. But I have seen some incredibly impressive uh, variations. Yeah, and it's only going to get more sophisticated and better, obviously. Um, well, better in uh, quotation marks. Um, but I think beyond this, also what's really alarming is as the world sort of woke up to en masse a couple of weeks ago is that deepfakes are also being used with malicious intent in creating fake explicit footage, such as in the case with the quote-unquote naked images of Taylor Swift flooding the internet on Twitter specifically. And It may have hit the news because this time the victim was a superstar. But the fact is that deepfake pornography makes up 98% of all deepfake videos online. And the psychological toll that it has on the victims affected, nearly all of whom are women, uh, is massive. And the most popular generative AI software have guardrails in place to prevent these harmful deepfakes from being created. But users are always finding new ways to get around them and deceive them. And this is true, of course, for the direct cybersecurity applications as well. As soon as you develop new defenses, then attackers find new ways of bypassing them. So it's basically a game of cat and mouse. And collaboration among cybercriminals is also on the rise, which makes it even harder to combat these threats. So first of all, if you hear me on the video call asking to wire me 23.8 million euros, please do not do that, okay? Uh, is there anything else that we can do? Uh, well, uh, as often when trying to deal with the risks uh, the technological evolution brings, the answer seems to be more technology. Oh, great. Um, hopefully we will develop better authentication systems and the implementation of things like digital wa- watermarking. And guess what? Blockchain. <laughs> No, please don't. There are useful applications. Uh, I, I will admit to this. Um, but they will help certify content authenticity and ensure a secure record of digital transactions, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, hopefully, this will. these are benefits that will make all of us more secure online. Um, for live calls, though, <clears throat> I would say the problem runs a little deeper. And for now, as we discussed on a previous show as well, I think the most efficient way that experts say seems to be to protect yourself is to decide on code words Mm -hmm. with your family or close ones, probably even your bank and those with whom you regularly approve 
<laughs> million euro <laughs> transactions of some sort. Oh, that's so many people, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. The list is long. But uh, at least I think with your family and and your bank, I, I hope that banks are looking seriously into this. How And how then to keep that code word secure. As yeah, well, that's right? another, yeah, that's another thing. Um, yeah, th I think we will only see the sophistication of these kinds of cyber attacks grow. And hopefully we will be able to keep up with the countermeasures as well. Unfortunately, criminals tend to be very innovative. <laughs> I wonder if this all brings us to a situation when we like fully and totally lose trust in anything that we see on our Online, screen. Uh, I mean, people are already losing trust in, in the media to a great extent because of this. And I, I can't see how we can keep that trust from being eroded more and more. But that's a very somber note and, yeah. uh, and a whole conversation for another time. Okay, sounds good. We will do a special episode just on that. We will invite a couple of guests and uh, uh, discuss the hell out of it. Now, uh, let's do a more positive thing. So I wanted to mention a story that we didn't uh, cover uh, over this past week, and that would be the spectacular, really, rise of the sheer prices of ARM, which is, of course, the UK-born uh, chip design company that is 90-something percent owned by SoftBank. So in this past week, the share price has increased by 80%, riding the wave created by the company's latest revenue forecast, uh, which uh, had uh, beaten the Wall Street expectation. And ARM's market cap has now reached 141 billion US dollars, which is almost triple the IPO value. Wow, that is really impressive. And But I do seem to recall that right away after the IPO, the, the value dipped. Yeah, there was like one while. there was like one dip and then there was another dip. So there was a lot of uncertainty at the beginning of whether uh, this uh, stock is going to is going to fly at all or is it going to actually crash uh, within the next within the next few months after after the initial public offering. So what is the reason for this surge now? So the rise of the stock price, this very sharp rise. If you look at the if you look at the graph, it looks just incredible. This like startup dream hockey stick type of thing. So this is, seems to be mostly fueled by the. AI hype, if you will. Uh, so it uh, sort of echoes the gains that the NVIDIA stock uh, saw over the past year or so. And there is, of course, a pretty big difference between ARM and NVIDIA, right? NVIDIA designs uh, GPUs and ARM designs CPUs. And CPUs are not, in fact, as great in actual training of uh, AI models as uh, the GPUs are. However, the story is definitely there and uh, ARM CPUs uh, are... Uh, mm, so what ARM CPUs have is this great energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. They are... Uh, their performance is, is pretty good and it seems like uh, they are a perfect fit uh, for some of the auxiliary uh, tasks within the general AI infrastructure. And uh, we, this means that the company is, in fact, part of this uh, AI story and the AI hype. And given that more and more countries are putting restrictions on data centers because of how energy, how much energy they consume, uh, the, I think energy efficiency will also be something that's more and more sought after um, in AI development Absolutely. and training. Absolutely. This is, the, this is definitely a selling point uh, for ARM right now in the data center use just because their energy efficiency, the energy efficiency of their uh, chips. And of course, it's just really nice to see a European company uh, doing uh, so great, even though it's like 90% owned uh, by, a, by a Japanese uh, 
uh, holding. And uh, I should also mention one more technical thing about uh, ARM's uh, stock. So the company, interestingly, has very little of its shares uh, trending publicly. So uh, this creates some sort of scarcity. I think it's about 5% of the entire uh, stock of ARM that's being uh, uh, traded uh, publicly. But this can change in about a month. Uh, the IPO lockup uh, lifts on March 12th, which means that after that date, SoftBank could in fact sell more of its uh, shares in the company. So it could lead to uh, further uh, changes uh, in the in the price. But then, of course, it is the question of whether uh, SoftBank would be interested in doing that just for that exact reason. Um, just a side note, if you're interested in learning more about ARM and the history of ARM, uh, there is a book called The Everything Blueprint, Processing Power, Politics and the Microchip Design that Conquered the World. Uh, detailing the oh, nice. history of ARM Did by an author it? called James Ashton. I'm I'm actually reading it right now. Oh right, yeah, very I'm gonna, timely. I'm gonna check it out too. Yeah, that's a that's a really nice thing to read. Uh, is it is it very long? It's a, I would say a regular nonfiction length. Oh, that's quite perfect. I wonder if it's available as an audio book. It is. Perfect. Okay. Uh, let's move to the favorite uh, segment of the week, which is this week we learned. Linnea, what did you learn this week? Well, now I feel a bit bad because it's not that fun. <laughs> it's actually quite horrible. It ties into what we were talking about, about cybersecurity a little bit and being safe online. But I, I learned that there is something called epilepsy trolling. That sounds pretty nasty. Yeah. And I mean, we all know that the online world can get pretty horrible. And I think I can only bear about two minutes max of, of scrolling on Twitter slash X before I feel sort of yucky on the inside. But there's one particular type of vicious online act known as epilepsy trolling that I only learned about last week. And I learned about it because the UK, as the first country in the world, introduced something uh, they are calling Sachs Law. And it's named after an 11-year-old boy called Sack Eagling, who suffers from epilepsy. And in 2020, when he was only eight years old, he was raising money for the Epilepsy Society, and he uploaded a video of himself on the organization's Twitter account. And what happened was that online trolls flooded the charity's account with images and GIFs with flashing images and patterns designed to cause seizures. <laughs> They especially targeted individuals who had reached the one-year episode-free milestone, um, meaning they had gone at least a year without having an epilepsy seizure. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, we don't like, have video, but Andre, Andre's face right now is saying it all. As if the world didn't have enough atrocities and injustices going on, there are actually people who deem it a good use of their time to sit behind their computer and cause more suffering to young people who are already struggling in this way. And I was just so, for lack of a better word, flabbergasted. And uh, yeah, I, I had to share this, that there is a thing called epilepsy trolling. And it seems to be, yeah, just one of the most darker corners of, of the web that I was as of yet unaware of. Yeah. I mean, I've never had a lot of illusions about the internet being this uh, nice and cuddly place in general, but, uh, but but this just goes a little bit beyond what I uh, what I would be thinking. But the, but the law itself, so is it actually so? Can you actually not be prosecuted uh, for for doing this? Yes, you can. 
Okay, that's a. It's now a criminal offense. Right, that's a that's a good thing. That's at least a, one positive uh, one positive part about it. But then again, as part of this uh, same game of whack a mole that we discussed before, mm-hmm. basically this new horrible things start happening on the internet, and then uh, uh, the regulators, uh, uh, while in, uh, either EU wide or locally, have to come up with new sort of new laws to prohibit and uh, criminalize these type of offenses. There's just no 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 other way around it. Okay. Uh, okay. What did you learn this weekend? Now, then? my my learning is a bit uh, is a bit less uh, less nasty, but uh, it's uh, uh, it's something about the European technology ecosystem and uh, some of the stats. I really like a stat, and uh, this one is. Uh, Unexpected, uh, let's say. So this week I learned that uh, European founder CEOs are typically not the highest paid people in their companies. So according to a report that uh, the VC firm Creandum released just a few days ago, in fact, uh, the highest paid founders are the ones that are occupying the position of chief commercial officer. So their median salary in Europe is about uh, 90,000 euros. Then come chief financial officers, then come chief technology officers, and only then uh, you have your CEOs with about 70k a year in salaries. And the only C-suite position that uh, the only C-suite position with lower salary is the COO with about uh, 68k, so pretty much the same as the CEO. So prospective founders, now you know which uh, <laughs> position you should. So I mean, first of all, if, first of all, though, if prospective founders, if you if what drives you at this point is a short-term uh, salary numbers, do not uh, found a company because this is definitely not going to bring you to that result. But it's really interesting that, uh, especially now with the uh, importance of uh, profitability and sustainable growth in companies in startups, it's uh, kind of get kind of gets reflected in uh, the uh, salaries of different uh, C-suite founders. So it is it is now more important to have a co-founder uh, who would be able to run the commercial side of the organization in a way that. Uh, charts the uh, most direct uh, path towards profitability, I guess. Mm. And uh, the report itself, I really found it very interesting. I will uh, link it uh, in the show notes. It's certainly worth checking out. Uh, Some of the other things that I uh, read there is, for example, that in general, uh, founder salaries in early stage startups remain pretty much the same as they were in 2022. And the bonuses are mostly on pause. So it's not like the founders uh, uh, have started to earn uh, more over over the past couple of years. So not even accounting for inflation. Not not really no. So it's so the the numbers are quite flat. It seems the only exception is that uh, the uh, bootstrapped companies uh, that that participated in the survey that uh, Creandum held, uh, they are paying more bonuses than any other uh, company type, but then their salaries are still pretty low. Then geographically, the highest founder salaries can be found in the UK, and the best paid vertical is, you guessed it, fintech. So UK fintech companies are probably the best uh, companies to be a founder of uh, right now. (laughs) If, again, you care about salary more than anything else. I think a third of of funding went to fintech companies last year as well. 
Yeah. Uh, also, keep your eyes open for the following episodes of this podcast because we will talk to someone who understands uh, fintech and particularly UK fintech very well. And uh, you will hear much more about uh, uh, the ecosystem itself, but also about uh, why these, uh, uh, the compensation situation is the way it is. Mm. And the last part I wanted to mention is perhaps not surprisingly, the gender pay gap is still there in the <sighs> European startup ecosystem and the industry in general has a big representation problem. It was uh, the uh, the people who wrote uh, the report at Creandum, they mentioned that it was very hard for them to get enough uh, responses uh, from uh, female founders. They got uh, six times more responses from uh, male founders than from female founders, and they couldn't actually find a statistically significant number of uh, female founders of Series B startups. So there is no data on uh, uh, female salaries uh, on those uh, uh, at that level. Uh, there has been other research done saying that at the C-suite level, the gender pay gap is actually not that big. So on C-suite, mm -hmm. the, the few that exist uh, in the tech startup uh, ecosystem, they are paid the equal amount uh, as their male counterparts. Mm -hmm. However, below that, there's a huge gender pay gap for all other positions. Yeah. Now, I think I think Rihanna's research also shows that like the difference is not that huge. It's still there. Uh, I think actually in pre-seed startups, if I'm not mistaken, the, the 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 pay gap is the other way around. So females actually tend to learn to, to earn yeah. more uh, than than males. But then, like on on all the other on all the other stages, it's the usual. But but it's not it's not very wide. It it is indeed not as big as you would see in more like a corporate environment, for example, and just below the ceiling, the C-suite level as well. Okay, so this is not the most positive uh, note uh, to end with, but this is all we have time for in this episode of the TNW podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like our show, please help us spread the word. Tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on social media. Just search for The Next Web and you will find us pretty much everywhere. Our music and sound engineering is done by SoundPulse. Feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions and opinions. We would really love to hear from you. We're always at podcast at thenextweb.com. I am under Regular. I'm Lini Algen. Thank you for sharing this time with us. Have a great week and we're going to talk to you next Wednesday. Bye-bye.